0: You're listening to another life transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Family matters. And so I've just got three points for you of why family matters, why it's important, why God cares about it. And then here, what we want to do, and I want to just go ahead and declare and prophesy 30 minutes into the future that no matter what your family looks like right now, whether you have an amazing nuclear family, and you guys have family dinner every single night, if you're divorced, if you're a single mom, single dad, if you're a widow, widower, if you're a young adult, never been married, wherever you find yourself, if you're estranged from your extended family, wherever you find yourself, you're gonna find breakthrough tonight. And at the end of this message, I'm gonna pray, and I'm believing God, and I've been laboring in prayer that there is going to be an, a wave of reconciliation in this campus in families, all right? Family matters. Point number one, why does family matter? Because family refines us. Family refines us. Family is the great proving ground of our faith. As a matter of fact, if you want to advance in the kingdom at all, God says you have to be able to manage your family well. In 1 Timothy chapter three, Katie and I talked about it last Sunday, uh, verses four through five, it says, this is um, Paul giving instruction to Timothy on what it looks like to advance in leadership in the church, in the kingdom. And Paul says to Timothy, if somebody wants to be a leader, verse four, he must manage his own family well. Having children who respect and obey him, Verse five, for if, this one stings, for if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? God uses your family to test you, to test you and see if you're ready for him to entrust you. If you can't handle one wife and two kids, why would God give you a connect group of 30? Why would God trust you with more souls if you can't manage the ones that he's already given you, right? God is looking to how we manage our, now listen, maybe you're in here and you're like, well, you know, I'm not married, I don't have kids. That's fine. Do you honor your father and mother? Do you have brothers and sisters? Do you look out for them? Do you have aunts and uncles? God is looking at how you interact with your family as a proving ground for your faith. If I was honest with you, honoring my father and mother has been a journey for me. My dad died when I was 19 years old. He died of a drug overdose, and the three, four years leading up to his death weren't really super awesome. And uh, he left me, my mom, and my sister in a bad way and just left a wake of destruction in our family. And for years and years and years, I had no positive memories of my father. All I could remember were just the bad times. And really, if I was more honest... Moving to San Diego, Katie and I moved here from Dallas, Texas, so that I could do my, my graduate work at UC San Diego, and that's the reason we came. But a very positive side benefit was getting away and being able to remove myself and just kind of start over, have a clean slate. And so I historically did a terrible job of keeping up with my mom, who was a widow. And just in a, uh, uh, just a couple of years, I've really made a, a vow in my heart that I will honor my mother. And I remember the moment for me that just broke my heart. I, my, my mom and I were just kind of joking around talking and she just said, hey, you know what? She doesn't have any retirement saved up. She has no, she's just gonna work until she can't work anymore. And then she, we were just talking and she said, and then you know what? Just stick me in a nursing home and I'll just, be, I'll just die happy, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it crushed me. And I was like, mom, why would you ever think that I would let that happen to you? No matter what, I will take you in. There's no way that I'm gonna let my mom, who raised me, who gave me the best childhood she possibly could, even in spite of crazy circumstances, wither away in some nursing home while I'm here in California prospering. There's no way. And I made a covenant with my mom that when the time comes, you're coming under my roof. I'm gonna take care of you. We have to honor our parents. It's the very first of the 10 commandments that comes with a promise. If you honor your mother and father, then it will go well with you and you will have length of days. Do you honor your parents? You know, uh, people say friends are the family you choose. Anybody heard that? Friends are the family you choose. And it's, it's true, you get to pick your friends, which is great of so somebody you don't like, you don't have to be friends with them. It's great. But then kind of on the flip side, family are the friends you don't choose, right? You don't get a choice. And so you got crazy Uncle Ron and weird Uncle Judy. You don't get to choose them. They're, you are stuck with them and they are stuck with you. It refines us. If If all you had were just friends, and you just got to choose exactly who you wanted to be around, and you just were hanging around exactly like-minded people, and this is one of the great pitfalls of Christian pastors, because they just hang out with other pastors and other Christians in their church, and they're never around people that don't think like them, don't see the world like them, right? But your family, you just kind of stuck with, and you just get whatever you get, just to roll of the dice, and boom, that's who you got. I'll be honest, I have the best relationship with Katie's parents ever, I love them. My, you know, As I mentioned, my dad died when I was, uh, when I was young, and, um, as Katie, and Katie's dad is a, is a stern man, he was a commander in the Navy, an F-18 pilot, went to Top Gun, and, and just has always been firm, and um, when we were dating, he was not easy on me. And you know, if, if I was honest, I respect that, because he values his daughter, I can tell you what, when somebody comes knocking at my door wanting to date Everly, <laughs> I'm gonna say, let me see your tax statements, let me see your tithing state. Are you tithing, son? And he's like he's like I mow lawns. I don't care. $2.50 of every yard you mow better be in that collection plate. So I respect I respected Katie's dad for his sternness and his hardness, but I'll never forget on the day of my wedding after Katie and I said I do, he walked up to me and he just said, "Son." And I said, "Dad." And we shook hands and I've called him dad ever since. They're my they're my family. I love them, but I will tell you what. We don't see eye to eye on lots of things. And I chose Katie, but I didn't choose them. They just kind of came along. It was just a package deal. It's a package deal. And I, Katie and I have had to navigate how to interact with Katie's parents, whom we love with all of our heart, but that see the world a little different than us, have different stances on some of, some of the COVID things that we've had to navigate in 2020 and 2021. Family refines us. G.K. Chesterton, who is one of um, C.S. Lewis's main influence, said this. The best way, and I want you to listen closely, you know, he's an intellectual type and, you know, it's kind of hard to read, but just listen because there's gold in here. The best way that a man could test his readiness to encounter the common variety of mankind would be to climb down a chimney into any house at random and get on as well as possible with the people inside. And that is essentially what each one of us was done on the day that we were born. The best proving ground for your faith, for your readiness to tackle the world outside is how you interact with the people that God gave you at random, your family. Family refines us. Marriage refines us. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha. Lord Jesus. There is no one on earth that infuriates me like my wife. Nobody can make me more... happy than my wife. And here's why. I'm going to give you, th- this, it's not like, this is God's design. God made men and women to complement each other. Here at this church, we believe that God made men and women. It's, that's it. There is no continuum in between. God made men and he made women. And they complement one, one another. And in order to complement complementary colors, our colors, if you know your, your color wheel, that are on opposite ends of the color wheel. Complements are opposites. So look, I'm gonna break it down theologically for you, okay? You go back to Genesis 1 and look at the creation narrative. On the first day, God made light, light and dark, that's it. It's as simple as you can get, on, off. Light, dark, photons, no photons. Boom, that's it, that's all we got. Very simple. Day two gets a little more complicated. Every day in the creation narrative, God adds a little complexity, right? So the next day, God makes sky, all of a sudden, we have some molecules. Got some nitrogen, got some oxygen, some trace amounts of carbon dioxide, okay? Simple molecules, but molecules nonetheless. A little more complicated, that's day two. Day three is the waters, and, the water, and then I believe plants, and then day four is the cosmos, and I don't remember that, getting it exactly right, but then on day six is when God makes the beasts of the field, horses. Donkeys, oxen, and man. Come on. We have the same level of biological complexity, according to Genesis chapter 1, as a horse. Yes. Now, if you think of the creation narrative, you know, it's one day, one day, one day, and the the. the The complexity of of organisms kind of goes up, right? So, even if it was a linear relationship, so you have, you know, day one, this complex, day two, this complex, day three, here, day four, here, day five, here, day six, donkeys, horses, and boys. Now, on day seven, God doesn't make women, He rests. So, whew, I'm tired. And all this time passes. Bible says that God brings all the, all the animals to Adam. What are you going to name this one? Dog. What are you going to name this one? Aardvark. What are you going to name this one? Dung beetle. What are you going to name this one? Cheetah. What are you going to name this one? Elephant. All the way through all of them. And the Bible says that no, suitor, no helper was found suitable for him. And so, who knows how long that took. Could have been thousands and thousands of years. God makes women. So, Biblically speaking, women are the most complicated organism on the planet. It's true. Can't argue with me. That's the Bible. And listen, ladies, don't apologize for it. Be complicated and be proud that you're complicated. And it's just so amazing that God put a creature that was made on the same day as an ox with the crown of creation, the most complex thing ever, and just says, figure it out. (laughs) And it's just, family refines us. Marriage refines us. Katie can't figure out why all I really care about is food, sleep, and sex. And I can't figure out why those aren't the only things that she cares about, but they're great. All three of those things are awesome. And so we have to just figure it out. Two complementary creatures coming together, it refines us. Family refines us. It's good for us. We become better. We learn how to follow God more closely in familial structures. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Come on. Family refines us, point number one. Point number two, family is God's plan. Family is God's plan from the very, very beginning. I want you to follow me. So in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, and there was a certain connectedness between earth and heaven because sin had not entered the world, hadn't fractured and schismed the universe, and so there was a a certain connectedness where the Bible says that, that God would walk with Adam in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day. There was a connectedness. But then in uh, Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world. There's the fall of man. And the Bible says that sin fractures the known universe, the material universe, and there is a schism, there is a chasm that is created between heaven and earth. Your entire Old Testament is people begging God to bridge that gap, the whole thing, and prophesying to one day when that gap would be bridged. You have things like in Isaiah 64 verse 1 where Isaiah says, oh, that you would rip open the heavens and come down. And he was asking for something that hadn't happened yet, right? There was a chasm between heaven and earth. Our New Testament is about God bridging that chasm through Jesus Christ. And ever since, Jesus said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the entire mission now is to re-bridge that gap, to bring heaven and earth closer together. And how amazing is it that from the very beginning, way before Jesus in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, God gives mankind an edict, a decree and it says in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Because God knew that each one of us carry the image of God himself, that every single one of us are image bearers of God, and as we multiply and fill the earth, the earth will look more and more like heaven. That's why when you hear Bill Gates talking about population control, that is a scheme of the devil. And it's based on a zero sum game thinking about the limited resources of earth. But guess what? We don't serve a limited God. We serve an abundant God. We serve a God that has no limit. This earth will continue to support as many people as we can fill it with because God gave the command to fill the earth and subdue it. Family has been God's plan from the very, very beginning. And so then in in Genesis chapter two, so Genesis chapter one is kind of the high-level thirty thousand you know foot view of creation, and then Genesis chapter two it dives in and and digs in a little deeper into the to the creation of Adam and Eve, Uh, and it says in Genesis two twenty four, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall be they shall become one flesh. So you have three design principles. You have male and female, he created them. Male and female will come together and be joined as one flesh, okay? God honoring sexual activity is between one man and one woman in the confines of a covenant marriage relationship, okay? And then be fruitful and multiply. Turns out when you have sex, babies are made. Crazy, and it's fun. Thank you, God. Praise you, hallelujah. All right. So, men and women, men and women come together, and they make babies. So, look at the strategic attack of the enemy. What is Roe versus Wade? It's an attack on filling the earth. It's the taking of innocent life in the womb before birth. That's what abortion is. It's an attack against God's design. And then back in the Obama administration, the definition of marriage changed. Systematic attack, one step in on the definition of biblical marriage, which is one man, one woman will come together and become one flesh. And now, in 2020, 2021, 2022, what's under attack now? Gender. Can you not see the specific tactical plan of the enemy to come against God's design? Because family is God's plan. It's God's design. So take your family seriously. It's nothing to be thought of or treated flippantly, carelessly. Stay married fight for your marriage. If you're in here and maybe your spouse isn't here, maybe you're sitting next to your spouse, maybe there's a seat between you and your spouse, I'm telling you, God can do anything. God can do anything. Even if your family has been derailed, maybe you come from a broken home, maybe you and your spouse are divorced, maybe you're a single mom, single dad, whatever, wherever you're at, you may say, well, shoot, if family is God's plan and I'm, I'm like not on God's plan, am I, am I on like plan B now? Do I get like, you know, the secondary plan? No, you, God is the great redeemer. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28 that he causes all things to work together for good. It doesn't say that all things are good. He says that all things, good and bad, he will work together for good. And God uses his church to fill in the gaps. So if you're in here and you're a single mom, until God brings along another godly man for you to marry, the church fills in the gaps. If you're a single mom of, of, a, of a son, bring him to men's prayer, and you'll have 75 guys come around him and teach him what it looks like to be a man. Teach him how to pray as a man. If, you have, if you're a single mom and you have a daughter Get her to Cherish Prayer, and you better be at Cherish Prayer too because she's going to learn what a Proverbs 31 woman sounds like, thinks like, acts like. The church fills in the gaps. My parents got divorced um, when I was six. My dad had an affair um, and moved in with his mistress, and my parents divorced. Crazy thing is that um, I think six years after that it was, they actually reconciled and got remarried. So I've seen, I've seen it all, okay? I have seen like just the, the ravaging that, div- that divorce does to a family, to children. I, I went to therapy, to counseling. I was angry. I would fight kids at school. But then I've also seen God restore and he brought my, my parents back together. But I remember because... It felt like my family was derailed because of adultery. When I first came to this church, I thought that that was my lot in life too. I thought that that was a curse that was on the men in my family and that it had fallen to rest on me. When I came to this church, Katie and I were already married when we got here, we were barely married. I think we'd been married for like maybe 18 months, two years, and I actually would tell her, you need to be ready, one day I will be unfaithful to you. Not because I want to, but it's just part of my family. That's what the men in my family do. But praise God for Awakened Church that taught me that I have the power to break generational curses, and so do you. If your parents were anxious and riddled with anxiety, you can walk out of here without that. If your parents were divorced and you think, well, everybody in my family gets divorced, it doesn't have to be you. You are a curse breaker in here. And I'll never forget my first Freedom Conference. And look, I came from a little quiet Baptist church in Dallas, Texas, okay? All this chap- clapping and cheering you guys are doing, I'm good with it now. But back then, I would just be like, shh, shh, why are you guys doing that? Please stop. Please be quiet. Please sit down. People praying in tongues, I was just like, oh, Lord, that is from the devil. Get me out of here. <laughs> Saw people get delivered from demonic oppression. And it's not always clean and pretty. It can be messy sometimes. And I was just like, Lord, where am I? (laughs) But you know, then you like read the Bible and like I think Matthew 8, Matthew 9, Matthew 10, just go read those three chapters and it's just Jesus casting demons out of people left and right. And it's messy. Read the Bible. It says, and then the spirit convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice and left. That's the Bible. That's what it looks like. So I remember my first freedom conference, all focused on deliverance and, and breaking off demonic oppression off of people, and I'm from this little Baptist church in Texas, and I'm, my heart is just like, pff, 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 pff. and Pastor Mike Connell, who knows Pastor Mike Connell, amazing, the doctor of deliverance himself, and he's teaching on this idea of generational, I shouldn't say this idea, this reality of generational curses, and I just, you know, like when pastor's preaching a message and you just know that you know that you know that you know that it's like God himself is just like, Kelly, it's me. That's how I felt. Like I knew that God was saying, like literally the God of the universe bent all the way down and whispered in my ear, I have orchestrated this for you to be set free right now today. And so I knew that Pastor Mike Connell was going to have an altar call and, you know, people were going to go up and he's going to be casting demons out of people. And I'm like, Whatever. I'm down, my head spins around 360 degrees and I puke and start barking like a dog, whatever, I don't even care, I don't even care, I'm ready. And I just knew that for my wife, for the kids that I didn't even have yet, that I was not going to go forward in the same path as my family. And so, the time came in the service and I was on, Katie and I were on the front row And I remember the Lord spoke to me. You know, sometimes like when there's an altar call in church, you know, it's like, hey, come forward, and you kind of like wait until like four or five other people go, and then you're like, oh, yeah, you know. (laughs) God spoke to me and said, be the first. Don't look to your left. Don't look to your right. If you really care, and it really means that much to you, you won't care if you're the only one up there. And I'm just like, really? Wow. Wow. So when Pastor Mike Connell said, if you need generational curses broken off your life, I want you to come for it. I freaking sprinted. I was the first one up there. Thank God there was about 250 other people too. Praise God. Thank you. <laughs> and I remember he came up to me, you know, the worship team's playing, and I'm just like, here we go. I'm about to start squealing like a pig. or I don't even know something crazy's going to happen, but I don't even care. I'm ready. And he just said, I release you from generational curses. I cast that demon out of you right now in Jesus' name. And that was it. I took a deep breath and then I walked back to my seat. I don't really know why. I think maybe it was because my heart and spirit was so freaking willing that there was no resistance whatsoever. I don't know. But I can tell you that ever, back then, before that moment, I was so terrified that I was going to be unfaithful to my wife. You can ask Katie. I wouldn't even have another woman's phone number in my phone. The only phone numbers I had in my phone that were girls were Katie, my mom, and my two sisters. That's it. Now I don't care. You can put me, you can have six naked girls dancing around me. I'll just be like, get away, get away, get away, get away, get away, because I am determined and the generational curse has been broken off my life and I I know that I know that I know that I know that I'm gonna get to the end of my life and I'm gonna be able to look back and say, baby, for 50, 60, 65, 70 years, I've had eyes for nobody but you. I've been faithful to you and you alone. Family is God's design. Family is God's plan. And then there was more work to be done because my, my dad, who, and listen, like I said, it, it took me a long time to learn to honor my dad. And now I do, and I can. I, there was a, my, my, my dad and I kind of missed each other. You know, when I was a young boy and, and really needed the, the, the nurturing of my mom, my dad was healthy and, and all that. And then as I grew and really needed a man, my dad kind of, uh, you know, got derailed. And so we just, we sort of missed each other. But even still, in just the couple short years of overlap that we had, my dad taught me a ton and I honor my dad and I'm thankful. He did the best he could with what he had and I'm thankful that he gave me just enough to be able to break free of some of the things that he wasn't able to break free from. But one of, the, one of my other big struggles was being around manly men. I had a huge problem with masculinity. And anytime somebody would do a push-up, I would just, you know, I would be so turned off by because they were, you know, It was toxic masculinity. And it was because of the absence of masculinity demonstrated to me by my dad. And I'll never forget my very first Emerge conference. I was so off-put. I mean, look, I'm just telling you, you go to Emerge, there's there's some manly men there, okay? Sometimes I'm like, Lord, why did you not bless me with a physique like some of these behemoths? But anyway. But I will never forget the work that God did in me in that first Emerge conference. God illuminated that I needed to forgive my dad and that there was a blockage between me actually stepping into true masculinity and being able to lead my wife in strength, to lead our family in strength, to take take the reins of the assignment that God had for me and it happened to me at Emerge Conference. So man, shameless plug, get registered. Text Emerge to 55525, get registered, and I'm telling you, it will change your life. God uses the church to make up the gaps in any one of your deficiencies. And so as I'm preaching, you're like, well, that sounds great, but you know what? My family's a total disaster. It doesn't matter. God will use the church to fill in the gaps. Lastly... Love to have the keys join me. Adrian Dunn, one of my favorite people ever. Point three, the reason that family matters is because family reflects God. Family reflects the very nature of God himself. That's why it's so important as believers that we do not let that get defiled. We are seeing an onslaught of attack against the... Part of the Black Lives Matter movement's mission statement when it first came out was to dismantle the nuclear family. There's an assignment against the nuclear family because of all the reasons I've just mentioned. God uses it to refine us. It's part of his plan and it reflects the nature of God himself. And so you may look at the the Genesis stuff that we read earlier. You know, the man and wife come together one flesh, say, hey, that's cool. That's Old Testament, bro. This is we're a New Testament church. We're not under the law, under grace. Okay, fine. Let's go to Mark. New Testament. Jesus Himself, the Son of God, affirms. What was spoken in Genesis chapter 1, verses 22 through 26. So in Mark chapter 10, Jesus, so if you have a Bible, these words are going to be in red. Okay? Jesus said this. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Let me tell you, this is so important. The reason that there is an onslaught against human sexuality is because it is so important. When you look at what the world focuses on, that should tell you that this is a battleground that we need to go after. Everything, now listen to me, follow me closely. Everything, everything, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. And it's the craziest thing, okay? You've got books written by over the course of a thousand years in I think three different languages all over the the modern world at that time by different people. You know, Isaiah was like royalty. David was uh, was a king. I mean, you've got all these crazy, Moses was a slave, And all of it, all of it points to Jesus. It's crazy. Moses is a picture of Jesus Christ. Moses stood before the prince of this world. Egypt had conquered the known world at that time, stood before the prince of this world as the great deliverer and said, let my people go. Jesus stood before the prince of this world after dying on a cross and said, let my people go. Jesus is a truer and better Moses. Abraham, remember when God said he's gonna destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And then Abraham says, in the very first extended recorded prayer in modern history, Abraham says, if you just find 50 righteous people there, will you spare the city? God says, sure. What about 45? What about 40? What about 35? All the way down. Abraham showed, that the righteousness of one could bring salvation to a multitude. The righteousness of Jesus brought salvation to a multitude. Joseph was seated at the right hand of the king. And when those who betrayed him came and asked for mercy, he gave it to them. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the king. And when we who have betrayed him come to him and ask for mercy, he grants it. David is Jesus, the shepherd king that stands before the giant and takes him down. Jesus, the shepherd king who stood in front of the giant of sin and death and took it down. Everything. Everything in the Old Testament, every story, every character points to Jesus. Job, the innocent sufferer who suffered for no reason, but prayed on behalf of his stupid friends. Jesus suffered for no reason, an innocent man, to pray on behalf of his friends. Jonah, in the ship, as death was coming for that ship, He was swallowed up by darkness for three days and salvation came to those who he was with. Everything. Jesus is Jonah. Swallowed up in darkness for three days, bringing salvation to those that he was with. Everything. So when God says, for this reason, a man and a a woman shall leave his father and mother, be joined as husband and wife. The two shall become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. That is a picture of God and the church. I should have prefaced this, but I'm going to get a little, this is, going to get a, this is going to border between PG-13 and R for a second, okay? So if there's young ones in here and you haven't had the talk yet, wave your hand at me and I'll wait and you can skeet out a lot. All right. And, you know, the funny thing is, it's, it's hard for us to think of sexual intercourse as a picture of God's love for us because of the onslaught against human sexuality. It's been so perverted by pornography, by all kinds of ridiculous things, that even the notion of talking about, you know, Jesus... Being the groom and us, the bride, and sexual intercourse being a picture, it makes us feel uncomfortable and squirm a little bit. That's because the enemy wants to destroy this beautiful picture that was in the Old Testament that points to Jesus. The male sex organ is protrusive. I don't know another way to say it, it sticks out. And if I'm the first person you're hearing this from, I am so sorry. And in the act of sexual intercourse, a woman opens herself up and invites in the man. And if a man enters uninvited, it's one of the most violating crimes we have on earth. It's called rape. It's a picture of God entering us, we are the bride. We have to actually open up our heart and let him in. That's why human sexuality matters. That's why the definition of marriage, the definition of sex between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage matters. It's not old-fashioned. It's not bigoted. It's not narrow-minded. It's a picture of Jesus Christ, and we have a responsibility as the church. We cannot let that picture be defiled. All the enemy wants to do is erase that, to blend the lines of gender, of sexuality, oh, it's just sex, oh, it's so casual, whatever, because... It is one of the most powerful pictures we have of the connection between us and God as the bride of Christ. It matters. And so I want you to stand to your feet and I wanna just kinda of pray as we close for a few different categories of people. And this is, this is personal stuff. So I would, I would really love it if we could just bow our heads and close our eyes. And I really mean it. This isn't like, you know, you're having to obey me or anything. I just want to create an environment where people can have an honest moment with God about maybe some really serious things in their family and not feel that they're going to be, you know, looked at and thought about. So I'd love it if you just bow your heads and and close your eyes. And the first group of people I want to pray for is, if you're in here and you, are currently in a position, now whether that's maybe you got divorced, maybe, um, you know, I, I don't know, whatever your situation is, but you have felt like you have transgressed and now you're on plan B. Maybe you lost a marriage, maybe you're estranged from your kids, maybe you messed up as a parent and whatever. I, I don't care how how terrible it was, God is the great redeemer. And if you are in this place and you know that that's you and you have just felt like, I blew it, I'm telling you that tonight God is going to give you a fresh start. And so on any level, it could be something small or big, but if you feel, if you have felt like and you came in here feeling like you have lingering sentiments of that you blew it, you had a chance and you fouled it up and now you're on plan B. God can't use you in the same way he would have if you would have got, that's garbage. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. Romans eight twenty-eight. God works all things together for good. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter if it's good, bad, how good, how bad, the degree of badness or goodness, doesn't matter, he can work it all together for good. If that's you, I just want you to shoot your hand up really quick and I'm gonna pray for you. Come on, awesome, see it, great, who else? Amazing, come on, got it, who else? Got it, got it, got it, great, great, who else? Got it, got it, who else? Awesome, I'm gonna pray for you guys right now. Awesome, I see that hand, great. God, I thank you for these men and women that are brave enough to look at their inner man, inner woman, and say, you know what, I didn't get it right. And God, I know, because I have experienced it a thousand times, that you are the God of the second chance. And God, right now, I declare and I prophesy that everything that the devil meant for evil, God, you are going to turn around. And just like Job, who faced onslaught after onslaught after onslaught from the enemy, in the end, God, you restored to him twofold, double for his trouble. And right now, I declare over every hand that was lifted, double for their trouble, God. And whether, whether that trouble was self-induced or brought on by external circumstances, it doesn't matter because right now, even the mere fact that they raised their hand is a sign of contrition and repentance. And God, there is nothing in the world that you cannot do with a contrite heart. And so God, I declare and prophesy reconciliation. God, where kids have been estranged, there's going to be text messages that are going to be sent. There's going to be phone calls that are going to be had. There's going to be walls of bitterness that are going to come tumbling down, just like the walls of Jericho, God, with just one shout. Maybe that shout is a phone call, a text message, whatever it is, God. And I just see the next holiday season that comes up, you around the dinner table with those estranged family members laughing, catching up. stepping into a restored and whole family. God, I just declare right now that you are bringing families back together in Jesus' name. Amen. Next, I want to pray. This time, I want everybody to actually open up their eyes. If you're in here and you're a single mom or a single dad, I want you to raise your hand. Be proud. Awesome. I want every single one of you to actually look around. I want you to look around at these hands lifted because it's our job as the church to fill in the gaps. And so for all of you single moms and dads, if you can, maybe your kids are grown and you know they're, they're on their own and you don't really have a say anymore. If they're under your roof, you have a say and you get their behind to this church. You get them to men's prayer, get them to women's prayer and surround them with men and women that can disciple them and shepherd them in ways that you can. Ladies, if you're a single mom, It's not your job to be dad. You can't. You can't. You are ill-equipped. You do not have the equipment in more ways than one. Okay? So we can't expect, God does not expect you to be a dad. He expects you to leverage his church to get your kids around other dads. Okay? If you're in here and you're a single dad, get your kids to this church. God does not expect you to be a mom. You can't. So one more time, if you're a single parent, I want you to lift your hand up. Church, I want to stretch out our hands toward these people. God, I thank you for these incredibly brave men and women. God, I pray for strength upon strength. God, fresh measures of patience. And I just see some of you in here, you're single parents, but you're parents of older kids. Maybe you're even single parents of older kids that even have kids. You're a grandparent. And I just see reconciliation breaking out all over this campus, that you're gonna come back into their lives, you're gonna be an oak of righteousness and they're gonna look at you, they're gonna look at the change in you, I don't know who I'm talking to. Maybe it's you right there, my man in the glasses and the black shirt. I think that there's a change happening in you and when your family sees it, they're not gonna believe it. And it's gonna confound them and they're gonna say this isn't the man that we used to know. And it's going to cause, it's going to be that. It's going to be the fruit in your life. It's not going to be your words. It's not going to be you saying anything in any particular way. It's going to be the fruit of your life. They're going to see a new peace that they've never seen in you. They're going to see a stability and a steadfastness that maybe wasn't there before. And that's going to be the impetus for change in your family. In Jesus' name. God, I thank you for these brave men and women. God, I pray over their children. God, I pray that you would surround their children with godly men and women that will raise them up, that will disciple them, that will shepherd them. In Jesus' name, amen. Last thing I want to pray for is if you're married, I want you to grab your wife's hand and hold it up in the air. God, I thank you for the marriages of the East Lake campus of Awakened Church. I declare that the south region of San Diego is going to be flipped upside down because of the fruit in the marriages in this church. That the divorce rate, statistics will actually shift because of the fruit of the marriages of this campus. That people will sit around dinner tables with you, Ricardo and Chantel. They'll sit around a dinner table with you and they're going to be on the brink of divorce. They're going to say, because of what we see in you, we're going to write it out. You're gonna give people hope, Chris and Thelma Brown in Coronado. There's gonna be marriages, people that have everything, money on money on money, retirement plans, IRAs, property, and in all over the place. It's gonna be your marriage that changes them in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that marriage is your design. God, I pray for fruitfulness. I pray for fun. God, I pray that we would laugh, that we would have amazing sex lives, that we would go out on dates, that we would have fun together, that we would be reminded of who we met when we were first dating. I pray that you would bless every marriage in Jesus' mighty name, amen. And last thing, before we go, every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm gonna close the service, it's gonna be really quick. If you're in here and you're not in God's family, if you don't have God as your father, none of this matters. Have you actually submitted and surrendered your life to Jesus? The Bible says in Revelation 3.20 that he stands on, at the door of your heart and he knocks. He doesn't barge in. Go back to my analogy about sexual intercourse. God does not barge his way in. He knocks on the door of your heart and waits for you to open the door. And the Bible says that if you do, if you'll just open the door, it doesn't say open the door and you know go do a bunch of good deeds. It doesn't say open the door and let him inspect your house that it's in perfect order. It doesn't say open the door and anything else. It just says that he knocks on the door of your heart and if you just open it, that's it. Open the door, he'll come in and he'll dine with you and you with him. So, if you're in here tonight and you need to make that decision, you know that you know that you know that God is knocking on the door of your heart, that you need to surrender your life to him, maybe for the first time, maybe the thousandth time, whatever. On the count of three, I want you to shoot your hand up. One, two, three. Who are those ones in here that need to make that decision? One hand, two hands. Who else? Need to make that decision tonight. Awesome. I see both your hands. You're amazing. I like you in the blue, bro. That hand nice and straight. I'm proud of you, bro. Who else? Awesome. And the hand right there, my man Joseph. Proud of you, bro. All right, listen, really, really quick. Just the three of you. Three of you, raise your hand. I want you to make your way down here to me right now, right now, right now. Come here. Come to me. I want to shake your hand. Yes. You in the blue. Joseph in the Pemex shirt, in the Pemex hat. There was one other hand over here. I want you to come down here. Come here, my man. What's up, man? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Come on, hello, beautiful, how are you? Hey, listen, I didn't, Let's no, stay right here, stay right here. I want you to know, Mark, Joseph, and Ashley, I didn't bring you up here to embarrass you. You're standing right by the speaker. Is it blasting your ear a little bit? You're sure? Okay, okay, yes, there you go. The reason that I wanted to bring you up here is sometimes if you stay where you are, you run the risk of staying where you are. And there's something about getting out of your seat and saying, you know what, this is real for me. Because I want you to come down here so our whole church could see you. And what I'm going to do is right now, I'm going to walk you through a very, very simple prayer. And you're just going to repeat after me. But here's the cool thing. We're not just going to watch you while you do it and embarrass you. When you have God as your father, you get a bunch of amazing brothers and sisters too. So we're all going to pray this prayer loud and proud right, right alongside you. So I want you three to pray this prayer right after me in church, you better be drowning out their voices repeating this after me. Everybody say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you today for sending Jesus on a rescue mission to save me. Tonight, I repent of my sins and I know that I am forgiven. Tonight, I know that you have a destiny for me. An adventure for me. I am your child. You are my father. Heaven is my home. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, church. Let's give him a big shout of praise. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.